Hi everybody, welcome to a new episode of Two Drunk Fans. One of the fans may actually be drunk this week. Gab, what are you drinking? Uh, I am not the drunk one tonight. I am enjoying some water. Um, I'm, I am I have had a weird day. I'm doing, there's some uh, home improvement stuff happening at my place. So I was home for most of the day, but then I had to leave because of fumes. And so now I'm at the office still. Um, so I was on fumes earlier and now I'm drinking water. So uh, what what have you been up to today? Uh, my roommate was like, let's go to Border Cafe and get margaritas, even though it's Monday night, because their weekend is Sunday, Monday. And I was like, okay. And we went to Border Cafe. We walked, by the way. It's a mile and a half each way, which is good. And we had some queso and we an enchilada and some margs. And now I am very relaxed on a Monday night. <laughs> Lovely. I I might I might fall asleep in the middle of this because that's what happened. I don't get lit. I'm too old to get turned. I just Soccer want, is so boring. I just want to go to bed. Soccer is so boring. So we're gonna hustle through this. This is gonna be our fastest episode. I, I want to moisturize and go to bed. I'm sorry. What? Moisturize and go to bed. What What would you like to moisturize though? So many things. <laughs> the older you get, <laughs> the more moisturizer has to happen. <laughs> Just, we have to take moisturizer baths. What's funny is you say moisturize, and now I'm reaching for my my body lotion, hey. milk and honey, for normal to dry skin. We should all be moisturizing with a little sunscreen mixed in. Uh, that's all at home. I don't have sunscreen at the office. I should, though. Mm-hmm. Do you, so I have like Korean skincare routine, legit. I've got like the sheet masks. I have charcoal mask. I have toner. I have like several different kinds of moisturizer depending on whether it's daytime or nighttime really <laughs> i don't know if it's helping but at least it's probably not hurting it's probably not hurting uh do you enjoy the sheet masks thing i love sheet masks i've never i've never done one i can't believe we didn't do like a spa thing when you were out here last month we'll do i'll show you my korean skincare routine when i come out for the nwsl final yeah let's uh book extra time for that <laughs> okay uh, so since we last recorded, not a ton happened if, you know, not counting the World Cup, whatever, who cares about that, right? The Men's World Cup. The Men's World Cup. Um, I'm going to start doing the thing now where default, if I say a sport, it means the women's sports. So when I say soccer, I mean the women's game. And then if I mean the men's game, I will specify like the Men's World Cup, you know, men's Why not? soccer, right? Flip that shit on its head, yo. Um... I mean, obviously, we did have four games. We can go over the results because one of us kind of nailed at least one prediction. Stop it. It was just one. <laughs> we both got the other ones horribly, horribly wrong. I mean, it's not like I particularly got it much righter than you either. <laughs> you got it spot on right. You hit the bullseye and I hit... You hit the red in the bullseye and I hit the green in the bullseye. Yeah. I got the fifty points. You got the twenty-five. So we'll just exactly. Jump, we'll just jump right in. Houston, Portland. Houston one. Portland three. I called it Portland three to one, but you said Portland two to one. So that little what was it? I think Christine Sinclair got the last goal. That was just a gift from her to me. It was. It was. It it really truly was. <laughs> um, it was a it was a beautiful goal. Um, I think. It, uh, 
there's just something about Christine Sinclair goals that um, put them put them in a case and put them on a shelf and just admire them. I think part of it may be you know she's counting down a little bit after the World Cup. I don't know if she's gonna want to play in another Olympics. Probably she will. Uh, I can see her doing that for Canada, maybe in a slightly reduced role. But I think it's that sense of, you know, the goals are becoming more special because we know, you know, there's not 10 years of goals left in her. There's maybe one or two. So you just kind of hold on to the ones that you get. Maybe she'll play in NWSL for another five years, though. Yeah, I don't see a problem with that. Also, I mean, the goal itself was pretty nice because it was late in the game subs were already happening christine sinclair isn't getting subbed off at 35 she's still out there and god help her like playing in houston at eight o'clock at night and when it's muggy and disgusting still going for it gotta love it i think it was mid to high 90s that night as well with like 70 80 percent humidity you could Which tell disgusting. the game was kind of playing out at a much slower pace. You could definitely tell. Um, and it was just a nice turn and shoot. It was very classic Christine Sinclair in the way that it happened. You know, get a little space, turn, shoot, put it on frame. I mean, if I'm going to be fair, if Jane Campbell had you kind of had it together, that's probably a decently easy save, but she didn't. So it wasn't. Uh-uh. And it was a goal. But at the same time, you know what? Uh, even though Houston lost, and this puts them at uh, seventh with 14 points, second is Orlando with only 22 points. So that's an eight-point difference. That's like three games worth of points. And then three, uh-huh. four, and five is 19, 19, 19. The middle of this table can shift radically within two or three weeks. It's it's going to be interesting getting down to the wire. Mm-hmm. And what's not even getting down to the wire yet? Like, no, the break is over. Now we're just speeding. Now we're cruising towards the playoffs. Yeah, we're very solidly midseason, headed for the last third. Um, and still, it's this jam-packed in the middle. Anything could happen. You know, I'm kind of team chaos. With with no breakers? You always run. are. I mean, even when the breakers were in, I was still team chaos. It's not like I was hoping, well, oh, the breakers might make the top four. So, right. The next game, Seattle Courage. Wrong, 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 wrong. <laughs> <laughs> it was so bad. I didn't think it was going to be this bad. So bad. Name my sex tape. Um, oh! North Carolina Courage 4, Seattle 1, and then I called the... You and I both said Seattle was going to win. Yeah, uh, just didn't realize what the Courage were going to do coming off of the loss. It was two goals for Crystal Dunn. Lynn Williams got a goal. I think she got two assists. Merritt Mathias got a goal. I really thought Seattle would take... rough. I really thought Seattle would take control after... So they opened up scoring with Megan Oyster, but they kind of just looked a little slow, and they could not handle North Carolina's... So Sam Mewis is out, right? So you think, oh, North Carolina... Might be a little wobbly in midfield. And so for maybe about 20, 30 minutes, they did. But the midfield was still Crystal Dunn, Denise O'Sullivan, McCall Zerboni, and Dabinia. Like, That's a stupid midfield. Like, you're not going to, you're not breaking through that thing. 
And then Seattle's midfield was Utsugi, Elizabeth Addo, and Allie Long. So they were overpowered in terms of numbers, and I think in terms of quality. Like, Elizabeth Addo, I like the kid, and I think she actually went for a bike, which in instantly endeared her to me. Like, any player who attempts a bike, like, automatically gets 100 points more than the other players. But I don't know that she's 90-minute NWSL caliber, especially against a midfield like that. And then Utsugi no. and Long were... You know, not super on it. They're they're getting overwhelmed in the midfield. So, yeah. And, you know, to a certain extent, that also forces Rapino and uh, Beb Yanez to stay dropped back a little bit. It leaves Jody Taylor isolated. Rapino kept trying to pick out Jody Taylor. That wasn't happening. I actually... Jody Taylor's a good forward, but I don't think she's necessarily always a game changer. She's she's the type of player who is going to move the match, move the game into that final third. But she's not she's not that finisher. You know, she's she's the player that runs to the corner and is going to going to kill a little time, let the team catch up and then we'll dish it off to somebody else. And, you know, when when she's fed the ball right in front of the face goal, like 80 percent of the time, she can get get a piece of her body on it and score a goal. But that's few and far between with a lot of the defenses that, that are in this league. But Seattle just did not show up. I think you would be pleased about that if it hadn't been against North Carolina. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. I would have been cackling. I was actually up until probably Saturday morning around 11 a.m. I, well, I would have not made kick, but I was, I was seriously contemplating, like, do I want to go to Seattle for this match? <laughs> And that's a lot of fucking driving, and I hate driving. Like, road trips are not my friend. And I'm going to Seattle this weekend. So it was pretty easy to talk myself out of it. But it was one of those matches where I was like, God, I kind of want to see North Carolina get their asses handed to them. Wow. At Memorial. And boy, was I wrong. You would have gone and just been sitting there with your arms folded like, no. I would have walked out, and it would have been bad. Probably around goal number three, you you would have just walked out and started driving back to Portland. Right? <laughs> Ridiculous. And then third game, Washington zero, Orlando one. Um, You and I, well, I called that Orlando would win once, mm, yeah, by one goal. And you said Washington was going to win by one goal. I, I, look... I know you make fun of me for always being primarily concerned about Rose Lavelle, but God damn it, she she wasn't available for this game essentially because she was, you know, had a hamstring thing, and I'm just I'm I'm gonna fret over this like I don't have a child, so Rose Lavelle's hamstring is gonna have to fill that void in my life for now. I just uh, Rose Lavelle period fills that void in your life right now. Like I mean, anything Rose Lavelle, you're all over. I have a cat too. So. Uh, your cat is probably jealous of Rose Lavelle at this point. I don't think my cat really cares as long as the food bowl is full. <laughs> Aren't cats awesome like that? Yeah. I wish yeah. I were like a cat. You know, credit though to Washington for only losing by one. Um, <laughs> for only losing okay. by one. Look, when keep going. When Orlando I mean, there's put... no Seattle. So, yes, credit to them for only losing by one. When Orlando can put Marta and Alex Morgan into the field against you, right? And then they've got Alani Kennedy behind them. And uh, 
when LaRue is on, she's on, and she's kind of been a little bit on lately. And then they've got Ubogugu who can kind of break that back line. I think Ubogugu was kind of handling a little bit Taylor Smith um, when they were coming up one-on-one. You know, they, they, they handled it. The problem is that their, their target forward kind of is Ashley Hatch, and now that she's not on North Carolina anymore, what can she do for you? Not a whole lot. No, not not a whole lot. I did I did like the goal that was scored in this match. Um, it was not your typical Orlando goal. You could elaborate on that a little bit. I feel like you mentioned at the at at the uh, start of breaking this one down that you were surprised that Washington was able to hold off Marta and Alex Morgan and naming off kind of all of the heavy hitters that the Pride have up front and for this to be a midfield goal uh just catching the keeper way too far off her line which who's actually pulling trigger uh on a ball like that aside from carly lloyd in a world cup final it it was good i mean people were talking a little bit about like maybe bledsoe could have taken a few more steps but i really credit kennedy for keeping her head up on that goal bledsoe was in the correct position considering where her back line had put pushed up to, you know? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, so I'm not going to be too hard on her for not being able, you know, for not being on her line for that. And then last game of the weekend was Chicago Red Stars 2, Utah Royals 0. That was an interesting one. Um, we both thought that it was going to be a better matchup. Um, I thought that Utah was going to come out with a little bit more um, fire in their belly. Not fire in their hole, fire in their belly. Um, and it was, it was so, there was a spark in Chicago. Maybe it was things just came together. Like maybe they realized we got to step it up after the trade. Maybe Sam Kerr was feeling herself. It could have been the return of Vanessa DiBernardo. She's been out for a while. You know, she's always been kind of a, one of those key backbone players for Chicago in previous seasons. And I think knowing that she could be back for this game, maybe it gave them a spark. I mean, she scored. Clearly, she yeah. was a spark for the team. I mean, there's something there's something there. It's just it, how do you how do you develop consistency? I think that consistency is something that Sky I'm sorry, that Chicago has um I don't want to say struggled with for years, but definitely this year. We just haven't seen a consistent performance from them. And, you know, defensively, I think they're they're figuring their shit out. Um, but, you know, Ertz was out for so freaking long. And, you know, having her come back in, uh, she's one of these players that every once in a while you kind of have to do the comparison of playing for club versus country. But, you know, maybe this maybe this is an opportunity. I hope uh, Chicago is able to, to ride this wave a little bit to establish some sort of consistency. I have kind of two thoughts here. First one is I thought Becky Sauerbrunn had a little trouble handling Sam Kerr. Like, as much as she put herself in position to make some key blocks, at the same time, she also, like, at least once... I think it was in the second half. She definitely was like chasing several feet behind Sam Kerr on a breakaway. And I was like, 
that's the risk you play when you push up high and then Chicago uh-huh. hits one ball and Sam Kerr's gone. Um, uh-huh. The other one being, so Chicago picked up Brooke LB in the trade. LB's a fullback, but Chicago is now, you know, they've got Casey Shortback. She played a full half this game. They've got Aaron Gilliland, who's a starting right back, and deservedly so, I think. So is LB going to get pushed up into the midfield for them? But at the same time, looks like they've got a lot of midfield options, especially now with DiBernardo back. So how is that going to work out for LB, who I think is a very solid non-national team fullback in this league? And she obviously has trade value. So, you know, I'm just interested in that as a, she's a former breaker. I want to see her land on her feet. I'm very interested to see how Chicago integrates her if she just becomes kind of, um, you know, it helps them deepen their fullback pool or if Rory Dames is going to try and find some flexibility for her. Maybe she tries out for center back, which allows Ertz to once again move up into the midfield. Or even LB goes in at fullback and they can shuffle around their existing fullbacks in the center to cover for Ertz and let her play higher. We'll see. That was the NWSL weekend. Like we talked about, the middle of the table's packed. Within a couple games, it could get radically reshuffled. So the top four right now are NC, Orlando, Seattle, Portland. But we've got Chicago and Utah nipping at their heels. And then Houston, who knows what could happen, right? Like every week, there's going to be shifts unless we go into draw city. Like NWSL has this thing where every once in a while, too many games happen and the players and the teams get super tired and we go into draw city. And I kind of feel like we already hit that. We already hit that lull um, this season, but man, like every matchup is going to count now. Like looking ahead at who everyone is playing, all of the teams that want to be in playoffs need to be earning three points, except for North Carolina who needs to be earning a goose egg in order for people to catch up. Well, next week we're going to suffer because this week we've got midweek games plus Saturday and Sunday. So let's make our score predictions because there's seven games this week. There's three on Wednesday, three on Saturday, and one on Sunday. I'm I'm already tired. <laughs> Just saying that. All right, so Wednesday, game one, Orlando Pride hosting the Houston Dash. I think that... Houston is just so weird because Houston drew North Carolina. But then they like, so it's in Orlando. So I think the pride have a bit of an advantage there. Um, I think Houston is missing some key players. I'm going to say two, I'm going to say three to one Orlando. So according to the last injury report, obviously Christy Muse is out. Kai Simon had a left ankle sprain. But she played. Yeah. Yeah. Simon's Are done. you flipping through literal paper? Yeah. I love that you're flipping through literal paper. I, I keep all the lineups in a notebook with notes like who was announcing, what the temperature was, the attendance. I, I love that. <laughs> I love it. Uh, you're such an old man. Houston... Let's see, Wednesday, they're coming from home from a Friday game. But Orlando's coming back home from a Saturday game. 
but Marta will probably be pretty fresh because she didn't play the whole game. I'm going to say Orlando will win this. No, I'm going to call for a tie. 1-1. Alright. Next up, we have a match in Salt Lake City. So, Altitude versus Seattle. Utah's coming home from Chicago. Seattle might not have just Fishlock still. Utah still won't have Kelly O'Hara. Apparently, there's a report that O'Hara might not be back until sometime in July. Jesus. Right. I'll actually say with Utah at home in Seattle, no Jess Fishlock, the altitude thing, a 2-1 win for Utah. I am going to say that my guess for this one, god damn it, um, <laughs> head versus heart, head versus heart. Head is going to win this one, so I'm going to say 2-2. Two to two. Okay. Then we have Portland at home hosting Sky Blue. What you got, pal? Oh. Is Sky Blue going to Boston Breakers Portland and beat them like 4-2? to two? I really wish you hadn't said that. Um, I'm going to say 4-2 to two for Portland. Wow. Okay. I'm going to say 3-1 to one for Portland. Uh, Do you I see really that? I don't like that, too. Just took your score, subtracted one. From each number. Right. Okay. I'm, I'm okay with that. I'm okay. okay with that. Okay. I don't like two, but it could be six to nothing, and I would still get points. Mm -hmm. Orlando yes. Pride hosting North Carolina on Saturday. And keeping in mind, Orlando is coming from a Wednesday game at home, and North Carolina will have had a full week of rest. Right. But Orlando is playing two home games in a row. Yes. So travel isn't an issue. Mm-hmm. I'll call this two to one for North Carolina. I don't want it to be. I want someone to like, I want to help keep pumping the brakes on the courage, but my head says Carolina is going to win this one. So sorry. I'm going to say one to one. Okay. Okay. God, Ashlyn Harris plays for Orlando though. <laughs> oh God. She had a good save in the last game at the last minute when she, you know, needed to stay alert. So maybe, maybe we'll get She's good at Ashlyn. home. She's at home. Maybe, maybe. Okay. Uh, Utah Royals hosting Sky Blue FC. Once again, Sky Blue is having to hop to Portland on Wednesday. And now they're, they'll probably just come over to Utah before they go back home. Um, and then Utah okay. was will be will have been at home on Wednesday, so two home games in a row, but still a midweek game. Uh, I'm gonna say two to nothing, Utah. Two to two tie. Two to two tie. Gotcha. Yeah. All right, buddy. It's a big one. Oh boy, Seattle hosting Portland Thorns FC. And then Portland is coming from a midweek game. And Seattle is also coming from a midweek game because they had to travel In to Utah. Utah. Do I need to go first? This one this one will be the heart. This one is the heart. Two to nothing Portland. Oh boy. <laughs> I wonder if Flatco's gonna try to do any rotation, knowing that maybe Portland will be the tougher here of two opponents. 
between Utah and Portland. And he's not going to have Jess Fishlock. At least not for the midweek game. Because she's injured. She's injured. She was but out for the last... she'll still be injured on Saturday? Right quad strain? Maybe, maybe, maybe not. If he gets a fresh-ish Jess Fishlock back, that kind of changes my little calculus here. Assume no Jess Fishlock. Assume no Jess Fishlock, which probably means she'll be available for a half. <laughs> god. Oh, god. Real nail-biter. Two to one for Portland. Yes. Yes. Sorry in advance, Portland fans. Oh, we and then, beat the rain at Memorial. Last game of the weekend, Chicago Red Stars hosting Washington Spirit. Uh, both of these teams will have had a full week of rest. They don't have any midweek games. Chicago Red Stars at home. Poor old Washington Spirit. I'll call this 3-1 to one for <laughs> Chicago. No, 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 no. I no. Am... no, no, no. Sorry, sorry. Uh, uh, 2 to nothing for Chicago. I'm going to say three to nothing, Chicago. I think Sam Kerr has got a brace in her. Okay. I think she does too. I just think those are going to be the, the two goals. Sam Kerr brace. Sam Kerr. Okay, that's NWSL. Uh, seven games this coming week. Boy. That's just so much soccer. I'm kind of glad this past week then was a little bit quieter and gave us some rest so that we can deal right? with seven fucking games in Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, in five days with uh, World Cup on top of that. Um, I think the only other thing then that we really wanted to talk about was this New Zealand football ferns business that we didn't have time for in our last episode. Uh, you want to give us a really brief overview of what's going on in case somebody isn't aware of what the hell is happening in New Zealand? Sure. New Zealand hired a new coach, Andreas Haraf. I think that's how you pronounce it. Um, they had a home game against Japan where they lost. And then afterwards, he made these really kind of shitty comments in the press where he was, you know, they were like, this isn't the play style, you know, that we've come to expect from the Ferns. It was ultra defensive. You guys just kind of sat back and dealt with it and you still lost. And he's like, what, you would prefer we lost six to nothing? And, you know, people are like, when had the Ferns ever done that? It's like, it could have been much worse if we hadn't been. So it, it was the comments of a coach who sounded like he had no faith in his own team and just was kind of like, we can never, ever compete with Japan. We're, you know, it's a small country, not a lot of funding, blah, blah, blah. So the best we can ever hope for is to not embarrass ourselves. I'm paraphrasing. That's not an exact quote. But you can see how that's so demoralizing for your own team. He made those comments in public to the press. Afterwards, uh, New Zealand football kind of tried to issue this mealy-mouthed apology, or they're like, there's no tension between him and the Ferns. It's not what he meant. Clearly, it's what he meant, though. And then later on, New Zealand Herald breaks all this news that basically the Ferns are an out-and-out rebellion. It's like a, a mutiny up in here where they're accusing him of bullying and be too, being too controlling. Um, apparently 10 players wrote formal letters of complaint. The New Zealand Players Union had to get involved and be like, you cannot contact these players anymore because there were accusations that the Federation and Andreas Harab himself were calling individual players to tell them not to make their complaints public. Like, be quiet, you're going to make it worse. So that's where we are now. Uh... 10 players, formal letters of complaint as far as I know, although I think there's a later report. Uh, 13 players refused to play under this coach, at least. Um, we already know Abby Erseg 
retired for a second time in a row in protest because the first time she retired it was like we're not getting respect that we deserve then they negotiated a new um collective bargaining agreement so she came back and then you know this fucking walnut is in charge and she's like well i gotta peace out again because you guys keep fucking up left right and middle Ursig is a player who realizes what her participating in this program, playing, leading team, that void, what that void means, right? Like she's, she is protesting in a very, very visible political way. And it's, it's getting headlines. So apparently now Haroff is suspended pending an investigation because there's just too much hullabaloo. Even though before this they gave their stupid little public relations announcement where like, everything's fine, you know, please don't look behind the curtain. I think this is great. I love seeing players stand up for themselves. I like seeing professional football associations, essentially player unions, doing what they were meant to do, which is protect the players. Like, the Federation, their interests are their interests. They can talk all they want about, like, we believe in the players and stuff, but what they're interested in is the well-being of the program. It's like any business or corporation. Their Uh concern is profit and the well-being of their federation. If a player seems to be disposable to them, they'll drop that player. And, I mean, we see the exact same thing happening everywhere, right? And players are recognizing that there is power in numbers. And that's what's happening in New Zealand right now. That's what's happening with this growing from, you know, a handful of players not wanting to talk publicly about it. That's why there was intimidation is because everybody knows that there's power in numbers. Exactly. You get a couple people to crack, group starts falling apart, then you can divide and conquer. As long as you guys stay strong together, you can you can you can face the federation, you can face the corporation, whatever. Big believer in unions. I love the players standing up for themselves. I wish them all luck in the world. It really seems like they're kind of making their point known. It's not like New Zealand has a super deep player pool to pick from if they wanted to try to put together a scab team. I I just, it's got to be heartbreaking to be a fan of this team and and realizing what's happening. And that that has got to be one of the reasons you know, public pressure and optics, and you said it, like, every federation is a corporation. And they're constantly looking at image, they're constantly looking at marketability, and they're constantly looking at public approval, right? Like, there's, there's a reason Hope Solo rubbed U.S. soccer the wrong way, and it wasn't just because she would speak out of turn which she didn't really even do. But it's it's one of these things that the Ferns have realized the power that they hold. Yeah, U.S. soccer kept Hope Solo as long as she was useful to them. And then mm-hmm. the moment that she wasn't, they were finally willing to count up all her sins. It's not that she was faultless, it was that they were willing to overlook many of those faults or... Um, What's the term for underpunish? To give her leniency with many Mm -hmm. of those faults until the time came when it was suitable for them to go, well, actually, we do believe in accountability. And it's like, no, you believe in, you know, your ability to sell tickets on this team based on the image of role models, stuff like that. Right. 
It, it really, it really makes me wonder. Hindsight being twenty twenty, what if the Ferns had beat Japan? Well, if they had. What if they did? What if they did win? And this toxic guy, this toxic coach, this toxic quote leader, proved that he was worth it. You know, is this then a situation where players sit there and they go, "Well, the system kind of works," or do players still speak out? Yeah, it's interesting. Winning does buy you a certain amount of leeway, which is unfortunate. Like, same thing with corporation. If you are a big earner for the company, a certain amount of toxic behavior will get excused. And this guy, he sounds awful. Like, they were describing some of the stuff they were complaining about, and one of the specific things called out was, like, you had to ask for permission to leave a team meal. These are adults. I understand to a certain level you want discipline and cohesion within a team. So eating together, dressing in certain outfits, being in certain places, like going out together, you want to promote that. But it just sounds like he wanted to run his own petty little fiefdom and have complete control over all these people like morning, noon, and night. And it makes me, I mean, I'm going to jump into the sexist thing, but did did he want to have control over his team or did he want to have control over this group of very strong women? It's a legitimate question. And, and I think it's something that federations, that coaches, that people vetting coaches need to be thinking about when they're hiring a man to coach women in sports. And not to say that women can't be toxic and women can't do the same thing that that this guy is doing. But I think that we as I think that those in leadership need to seriously consider and look at the track record and whether or not development is actually happening in a positive way. Right. Did you actually create a positive environment for winning, for growth? for the team to to really become that magical find that magical spark or are you a taskmaster right how 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 is the sport evolving the other really awful thing is that he was also technical director so he had enormous power to shape the program from the bottom up do you really want kids coming up with the mentality of you know, this super negative coach in charge who is, like, already telling the press his first, like, half year on the job, we can never, ever compete with nations like Japan? Or do you want a technical director who looks at the resources he has and says, okay, this is what I can do. This is what the goal that I want to reach. How do we bridge the gap between the two and approach it from a position of how do I grow? How do I adapt to you know my resources how do i bring in more resources if necessary stuff like that you know there's a difference between we can never do it and maybe one day we could even though i'm being realistic like you and i have spoken so many times about the importance of sports psychology and even if it was a ploy for him to like motivate his players through negative reinforcement what a shitty thing to do. I'm actually a super not believer in motivating people negatively. Being like, you'll never be able to do this. I really hate that shit. I know some people respond to it, but to like, to what extent do athletes respond to that? Because hard-ass behavior is excused in the sports world. And it's this amazing 
web of developing leadership skills, empowering others, um, you know, all of these positive mantras that folks have taken from sports and applied to business, right? And there's a reason it's powerful and it's developing this different type of workforce and, and developing others to, to kind of grow in their own. And they were spot on in calling this coach archaic. It's the old way of getting buy-in. It's the old way of, of trying to motivate people by telling them they're never going to amount to something. That's not going to motivate people today. They're not seeing that in marketing. They're not seeing that in other aspects of their life. And it's just, it's sports psychology. It's just this amazing field that continues to develop and continues to find those opportunities to really have an impact on young people. And not to, not to mention when you're growing up in a program that is motivating you toward the positive, motivating you with opportunity and with chances and with, with praise, and then to run into this type of coach at the most senior level, how discouraging is that? So I hope um, New Zealand football does right by the ferns. I give big credit to the New Zealand Herald for really covering this thoroughly, it seems like. They had multiple articles that were updated multiple times. You know, people are watching, and hopefully that scrutiny motivates New Zealand football to do what is right by their players. It would be nice if they did it just because it was the right thing to do, but I'll take we're doing it because people are watching it. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's the world we live in today, right? Like, Public pressure has to be a part of every sort of change that cor- big corporations are, are going for. There, there aren't those companies that are doing the right thing just be- out of the goodness of their hearts. Yeah. Remember when Google's motto was do no evil and then they like started making really evil contracts with the government like to help with drones? And they modified and their, yeah. their thing? Yeah. You can't, yeah. You can't trust anybody. So... That was women's soccer this past week. Hopefully you're enjoying NWSL, maybe the World Cup, the men's World Cup. I don't know. Good luck surviving all seven games because God knows we'll need it whenever we get around to recapping it next week. I just, I have not watched a single men's World Cup match and not because I'm not interested. Simply, I'm, I'm overwhelmed by by a lot of different things in the world right now. And I just, I'm counting down for the Women's World Cup. I'm counting down till it's woso all the time. It's going to be amazing. See you guys in France in 2019, assuming that the world is not blown up by then. <laughs>